worship bless me. And I think about, um, you know, sometimes we'll have Sundays where the attendance is like, what's going on? Where is everybody? And uh, I think a few things about that. One is that it's the Lord's Day, and um, that should be compelling. You know, it should be compelling to worship, to gather with other people, because it's what's ultimate in our life if we know Christ, right? Worship of him, that's what's ultimate. So it should be compelling. The other thing I've thought at times is because um, it can affect me. I I thought one Sunday, you know, about the value of each individual person that comes to worship. You know, it's a good way to keep our perspective is the that God made each person, created them in his image. We talked about this in small group Bible study day, Sunday school. And so if two of us are here, three of us are here, you know, the the value and the inherent uh, capacity and potential in every single life to honor and worship uh, God is incredible. So it helps me to have that perspective. We're in Hebrews chapter uh, 13 is where we've been uh, uh, going through the book of Hebrews and I've, uh, when we've gotten to chapter 13 here, what you find are a lot of uh, discipleship instructions. A lot of them are pertaining to our social realities, our relationships with other people. And I've debated like, okay, do I really put my foot on the gas here or do we slow down and uh, look at some of these things item by item? So today, I don't have my foot on the gas really hard. We're going to slow down and just look at one uh, verse of scripture in he- Hebrews chapter 13 and uh, verse number 2. And here's, well, I went a little too fast there. Here's what the scripture says. We could have memorized this one this week. It's uh, just one short verse. It says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And so that's what we want to think about today, uh, hospitality and gospel hospitality, how that God really can use our lives to connect other people in uh, meaningful ways. And we're going to look at like why this matters so much uh, from the Scripture. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it uh, is timeless and relevant, meaningful. And I pray today that you'll use it in our lives as we think about our relationships with other people and particularly with people that uh, where you want us to have relationships that you'll give us courage and uh, strength God to be obedient to you give us insight now as we think about these truths together and we pray it in Jesus name amen well on the other side of COVID particularly there's it seems like for people isolation became a, a, a huge challenge but just generally it, it's true in the U.S. that people struggle with long, loneliness and isolation. I read a couple of good books on neighboring. I can't say I do a great job at neighboring, but I think neighboring is important. Like I live in a huge neighborhood with lots of people around us, but what you notice a lot of times is you still feel fairly disconnected if you're not deliberate about knowing the people who, who live around you and uh, there was a, I went to a conference a few years ago, a guy had written a book about neighboring, his name was Brad Briscoe, and he wrote a book with another person, and they cited this book, The Great Good Place, by Ray Oldenburg, and he said, American lifestyles for all the material uh, acquisition and the seeking after comforts and pleasures are plagued by boredom, loneliness, alienation, and, I, and he says it comes with a high price tag. 
America can point to many areas she has made progress, but in the area of informal public life, she has lost ground and continues to lose it. The, some of the research that was done in the writing of that particular book indicated that in 1985, three people, people would say there were three other humans in their life with whom they could express a confidence. In other words, they were their confidants. I can talk to this person. I can disclose my, my trials. I can talk about my difficulties. But now uh, people would say there's almost nobody that they have in their life that they can uh, just be perfectly gut-level honest with about the struggles and the triumphs in, in their life. People would say there was fewer than uh, two, and many people said nobody that I can talk to when I'm going through difficulty. And it indicates a epidemic of isolation and loneliness in the lives of people. Susan uh, Pinker, who did research around that uh, subject, said that weak Social relationships are a more significant risk factor than physical inactivity and obesity. You know, we think about the danger to our health. And loneliness, she said, impacts people more significantly even than other health factors might. And so when we think about God's instruction to us in his word, one of the things that we can take away is one of, he wants to use us in each other's life in the area of connection and, uh, and not being isolated. And so we see in this passage this encouragement to practice hospitality. It appears at the end of Hebrews in a series of teachings that we'll see about social discipleship. And we think about what discipleship is. Well, one of the things it's saying is that God cares about the nature of your relationships. And he has a purpose and an intent for them. And we're reminded that here's what Jesus does. His teaching stretches us, and his leading in our life will require more of you than you will voluntarily give. We think about what we're like. We tend to do less, and Jesus comes to us through Scripture and challenges us to be the kind of person that we would be if we understood God's purpose more fully. And so that's one thing I thought about in this passage is like what, how hospitality appears to me, how reaching out and building a connection, you know, happens in my life versus how Jesus would want it to happen. Biblical commands appear in Scripture to remind us that our lives should be ordered by God. God, he's Lord. We've said many times that's our profession. But we say he is Lord, and so what it means in practice, though, is to order our life underneath his commands and and his purposes for us. I have not read this book, but I've uh, read a lot of blurbs from it. Rosaria Butterfield, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. If I didn't have like seven or eight books that are in the various stages of being read already, I would buy this book. But now I think Frankie is looking at me sideways when Amazon delivers new books. Like, what about these other books? Are you going to read those? But once I read those books, I want to read this book by Rosaria Butterfield on uh, hospitality. That's what she wrote this book about. And she says, radically ordinary hospitality values the time it takes to invest in relationships, to build bridges, to repent of sins of the past, to reconcile. Bridge building and remaking friendships, she says, cannot be rushed. But it is part of God's purpose for us as his people in the world. 
that we would ha- be intentional, deliberate, and creating connection with other people. And so I like being with people. We were talking about earlier, like I'm married to an introvert, but I'm not an introvert. I'm like my dad. My dad would talk to a signpost, like they say. You know, he could go anywhere and find people and have conversation, and I'm kind of that way. And if you're not good at that, you know, like just asking people about themselves is a good strategy. I forget the lady's name, but there was someone who, a reporter, who said, this is how you do conversation. You just ask people about themselves, and everybody likes talking about themselves. So, you, you you know, it's a way that we end up connecting. But I, I like uh, connecting with people. It's natural and comfortable to me. But I can say also that like a lot of people, making space for new uh, relationships is hard work, and I'm not always good at it. You know, for, for a lot of people who say, I'm not good at making space for, the, for new relationships. Even though I know God says I should do it, I should value it. That's what we just read. The scripture says uh, practice hospitality, commit to hospitality, because by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. So we, we know we should do it, but we might say, I'm not always good at it. But connecting with people is at the heart of God's purposes. In Sunday school today, we saw the scripture that says that that the Bible says that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their offenses or transgressions against them, and he's committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. We think, what's my life for? God says, I've committed, I reconciled the world to myself in Jesus. And he says, now I've committed to you a ministry of reconciliation, of bringing people into connection and relationship under him, but with each other. And that's, I think, the importance of the passage that we're going to consider together for a few moments. And so just two questions I want us to consider uh, in this message. The first is, why is hospitality commanded? Why is it commanded? Well, in the first century we think about I thought about well how was their reality different than ours well in the first century they had uh, wayfarer hostels was that they definitely didn't have motel six like we're going on vacation soon we're going on a cruise we want to go down early and spend the night so that we're not rushed the day of the cruise and then when we come back we also want to stay in a couple of places. It was, I just go to Expedia, right? Or whatever app you use or however you do it. But it's so easy. Like in five minutes, I've got the accommodation that I want. They'll serve me a terrible breakfast the next day in-house if I choose that or whatever. But it's like we, it's easy for us. It wasn't easy in the first century to find accommodation. It was dangerous, in fact, sometimes. Uh, Donald Guthrie said Wayfair hostels where they existed were notorious for immorality. It's like what you might find is that the place that you had booked to stay or you wandered into, actually, was a brothel was a dangerous place, was a place where uh, you didn't want to take your family. And so hospitality among people was important because having an open house might be to provide for someone else a safer place than a public accommodation would have been in their day. And so we think about what the world is like now, mobility, uh, affluence. This is an affluent society. There are, you know, people who can't afford to stay in a motel. 
But most people have the mobility, the uh, financial capacity, an exponential number of accommodations now, even Airbnb, you can stay in somebody's you know, home somewhere or someone's basement of their home or whatever it is. But it's just a different kind of world than the world was in the first century. So the necessity of the kind of hospitality implied in this passage is sort of obsolete in a way. But So I think what then is the application for us? What are the practices that are still helpful to our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus since the reality is a lot different now? And that's what we want to think about. All right, think about the life of Jesus himself. How important was the table in the life of Jesus? We think about the table. What I mean by that is a place that you sat down and engaged in a meal with other people. If you watch The Chosen, one of the uh, really interesting things about that is how they're always, um, Jesus is sending the disciples out and they are collecting items and they're sitting down and enjoying meal fellowship with uh, others. We think about Jesus, Zacchaeus is a story in scripture. We always are like Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. But the reality was when Jesus met Zacchaeus, even though he was up in a tree, Jesus said, come down, what did Jesus say? I'm doing what? I'm going to your house today. That's what the old song says. And the scripture too. He said he, he got Zacchaeus to come down, and then he went to his house and he shared a meal with Zacchaeus. And often we see that. What did they say about Jesus in the first century? They said he is a wine-bibber and a what? What was the other word? Glutton. That's what they said about Jesus. Was that accurate? Well, no. It was a caricature, a misrepresentation. But he gained that identity by hanging out with people and eating and taking time to have relationships with people around a table. That was what Jesus did. It was how he connected. And so he, we, we think about how we can be like Jesus busyness in our lives and the lack of margin make us unlike Jesus. Jesus could slow down conceivably enough to enjoy a meal with other people. And, but for us, we have so little margin, we're so busy that we can't make time to uh, connect with people in this way and to share a meal and he, when we think about Jesus, he saw spiritual benefit in just the time it took to sit around the table with other people and to engage in conversation and, and uh, to fellowship. So he had time for meals, and, and so that, I think that's one of the things. Of course, we have meals too, you know. Sometimes it's like we're eating them in our car from one place to another. And so it's a decision that we make to to uh, engage in hospitality in the way that I think is helpful and we even can do now in the first century. The word, the Greek word in the passage that you get for um, hospitality combines two words, philo, exenius. It's like the word for friendship, uh, the, the word for kindness, and the word for strangers, aliens, the one who's other. Somebody you don't know, that's the idea in this word. When it's talking about hospitality, it's describing kindness to the alien. 
to the stranger, to the person about whom I know little. So when we think about what the practice of hospitality looks like, it means that we're uh, having an openness to engage with people that we do not yet know who are different than us. And it, it sort of is an assault. It's an assault on a few things, clicks. You know, we're, humans tend to gather with people with whom we are comfortable, and we know. Of course, I'm like that too. But if we're not careful, what can happen is we build a little shell around our relationships that others can't get into. And this is an assault on cliques. It is also an assault on a kind of a monochromatic comfortableness in our uh, classic, the way we view people. Like we tend to group with people that we're like, that we like, that we like and we're like. And, and with whom we're comfortable. And I think what Jesus would say to us is you, you need to make yourself uncomfortable in the pursuit of uh, relationships with other people. Make yourself uncomfortable. Choose to be uncomfortable, uh, to be obedient to this idea of reconciliation and the gospel becoming uh, a part of our fellowship and our relationships with people. So this isn't just about opening our homes to friends and family. Everybody does that. That's how Jesus teaches in the Bible too. He's like, everybody does that. I'm not talking about bottom line behavior. I'm talking about next level behavior that causes you to uh, have to sacrifice and be uncomfortable. Everybody, I'm assuming, opens their home to their friends and family. It's about connection with those to whom we have no acquaintance, obviously, because it's friend, friendships with who? Strangers, others, the alien, the person that we don't know. That's what it's teaching us. And there's the suggestion of vulnerability that can be helped by a warm invitation to friendship. So something about this suggests that this person has a need that we're able to fill, the person in mind that needs an invitation. They're vulnerable. There's something you can do to remedy uh, kind of a vulnerability that they have. And, and so that's the part of this that stretches us and uh, that our friendship can, can be a blessing to someone else. What's the end then of our obedience in this? Well, if I'm obedient to this, loneliness abates for them and for me. Loneliness abates. The, the loneliness that we talked about in the beginning. Needs are met. Unexpected things occur. Think about what the scripture said. By, uh, be careful to practice hospitality. Why? Because by doing so, some people have unwittingly entertained angels. Who did that in the Bible? Well, Abraham most obviously comes to mind. Abraham, uh, just before God was sending, destroying angels to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham sees these strangers. He doesn't know them. He interrupts everything else that he was doing, and he prepares a meal for them. And as it turns out, who was it? Well, it was God on a mission. And God reaffirmed to him his calling and the idea that his wife was going to give birth to a son in their old age. 
But that's the idea is that who knows what is, what's the potential of us stopping ourselves, connecting with someone else, inviting them into a relationship. The Bible says, well, by doing so, there's no guarantee that you're going to uh, be sitting down and having a meal with an angel. But the Bible does say unexpected things happen when we stop ourselves and we uh, open ourselves up to other people. And, but we do know that his mission is fulfilled because we said that already. People experience connection. Distances are bridged. Think about our, what's the characteristic truth about our age? Polarization. Polarization. I mean, the media loves it, fights for it, extends it. Our job is to be uniquely different when it comes to being polarized, even though there are often very important reasons that we see the world differently. God's mission is not polarization. God's mission is reconciliation, peace, connection. And we see that the potential in just slowing down and uh, neighboring correctly, which is so hard to do, has, it, it has the potential of fulfilling God's mission, building bridges, accelerating relationships. Anytime you sit down and share a meal with somebody, the, the relationship gets accelerated. You automatically know more than you did before you took the time to do that with someone else. And fears are met head on. Sometimes what keeps us separated from people are fears, right? The unknown. I don't know you. I don't know about you. But when we take the time to connect with people we're taking our fear on, head on. We're addressing the, the unknown in the life of the other person that perhaps creates for us fear and misconception. Hospitality is open up to someone uh, unknown to us by definition. It's acceptance and welcome. It's caring without uh, expectation of repayment. Hospitality is caring without expectation of repayment there is no competition involved i'm like like not doing if i'm doing something with the uh, uh, idea that they'll also do it for me i'm not really understanding bible hospitality i mean it's clear in other things that jesus said it's not i, I feel that way sometimes i'm like i put myself out there and they never did the same for me well my heart's not right when i think that way that's not what jesus cares about what he cares about is my obedience and it's wonderful if it turns into a friendship and a relationship. But the part that's in, uh, important to what Jesus wants is for us to be willing and yielded. And it, it, hospitality is providing for, for a need that is maybe even unstated or maybe even unknown through our willingness and our yielding our hearts to him. So that's the first part, that question. Secondly, in the passage, how can we practice hospitality effectively? How do we do it? Well, I think it helps to have the perspective of eternity. And I shared this verse before. I think this is definitely the, it's the end of a story that Jesus told about um, a person who was caught in financial corruption by his employer. He's caught doing something uh, corrupt. And he, he goes around to all of the people that owe his employer money, and he reduces their bill. 
And the reason that he did it is Jesus commends, or not Jesus, but the person in the story that Jesus tells, commends this shrewd steward because he used the opportunity that he had to endear himself to people. He did it in a corrupt means, and Jesus doesn't commend that. But he took the opportunity that he had in relationships, and he made for himself a way. Because if you remember, he said, I don't want to dig ditches and stuff like that. i got to figure out a way out of this. And that's what he did. And Jesus said, this is the application in the story that he was given. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And so I, Jesus isn't you know, telling you go do something corrupt so people will admire you or you know, be open to you. But what he is saying is like all of the material stuff that we have is ours on a temporary basis. Isn't it? It is. Okay, if you know, we're not acquainted with that idea like we're we wrote a will long ago some somewhere down the way all the material things that I have someone else is going to get they are not going with me. But the Bible says all the stuff that we've got now can be turned into heavenly capital. It can be used for a purpose that God will resonate in eternity. It'll resonate in eternity. That, that we used our homes, that we opened up our uh, lives to other people so that one day when this temporary life is over, those people that we knew will welcome us into eternal habitations. That's what this is saying. There is the potential that somewhere, someone out there is somebody we're going to know forever and ever and ever. And that the connection that we created now by recognizing all our stuff belongs to God anyway, our time, our stuff, can, can have that kind of implication in the, in the future. That that's what it will have meant to be obedient. So all people, when we think about them, we said this in Sunday school too, all people are created in God's image and are worthy of dignity and respect. So when we think about the hospitality, kindness to strangers, the everybody that we meet, no matter how they impress us, is created in God's image and is worthy of dignity and respect. That's hard to remember. It's hard to remember that everybody, the person who flipped me off through their sunroof this week, which happens, you know, too regularly in traffic. <laughs> that person is worthy of dignity and respect, the Bible says. And it's hard to remember that everybody is created in God's image. Every human, God has a purpose for. And when I think about, okay, how am I to make a practice of this? I need to, the perspective of, of eternity. I need to remember that all people are made in God's image, worthy of dignity and respect. I need to ask myself the question, am I willing to be inconvenienced? Right? This is what keeps us from doing this. I, am I willing to be inconvenienced? First Peter 4.9 says, practice hospitality without grumbling. That, this is offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is the challenge for us when we open our, our homes up and we make a meal. Or even if it's just saying, I'm going to meet you somewhere and buy you lunch. It's that it is an inconvenience. And so doing this with a cheerful attitude is important. It's that, that's as important an aspect of what this 
social discipleship lesson means as anything is that I'm willing to do this and at the end, however it makes me feel, it may take time for me to recover, I still have a certain gladness in knowing that it was for the purpose of glorifying God and being obedient to him. Here's another quote from Rosaria Butterfield. She's, this is especially for you introverts that are in the room. She says, we introverts miss out on great blessings when we excuse ourselves from practicing hospitality because it exhausts us. I have a friend who will tell you, people exhaust me. I just don't want it, you know. She says, I often find people exhausting, so that's an uh, honest confession. But over the years, I've learned how to pace myself, how to prepare for the private times necessary to recharge and how to grow in discomfort knowing your personality and your sensitivities does not excuse you from ministry it means that you need to prepare for it differently than others might not say well okay i'm not an extrovert it's hard for me well we feel your pain you know that that's how it is but this is good advice. It's great truth for us just to say, if it's true about you that like to open yourself up to other people is depleting, then you build into your sense of who you are as a disciple recovery time. I know that this is how my wife is doing children's church, so she probably won't listen to this later. But uh, she's, because she's an introvert, it, it, I've been around her at times when I'm I'm like all her social energy is gone. I can tell all her social energy is gone. And so when when we're that way, the Bible says that does not mean that you get to excuse yourself from being a, a social person obeying Christ in relationships. It just means that you have to pace yourself, you have to know yourself, you have to give yourself time to. Uh, you can go, okay, at the end of this, I'm taking about a three-hour nap away from people. And you, Bobby, because you want to do this, are going to do all the dishes and a lot of the preparation or whatever. And, and that's fair. But it's just knowing. I think what the, the writer was saying here is you've got to know yourself, but you also have to still go, you know what, God expects us to do this. God expects us to open ourselves up to people that are that we don't who we do not know yet and to connect with them so are we willing to use our social energy for gospel good can we keep a social openness with a healthy attitude that's the question another you know way we think about how can i do this effectively is asking ourselves am i willing to take risks am i willing to take risks putting ourselves out there for connection feels risky when I was in college, we attended a church of about 700 um, attenders, and there were it was a growing, fast-growing area near Raleigh, North Carolina, and um, the pastor there asked me if I would like help with the ministry that he was developing, whose purpose was to take existing church members and connect them to uh, a visitors, guests. And so my job was to help people that were already attending the church get connected to people who were just starting to attend the church. And it felt like a very weird ministry, to be honest, like a hard ministry to do because, like, I had to go to people and say, hey, would you take this person to lunch? Would you ask them to go out for a meal? And it, but the other part of it is like what we really do need in our 
spiritual life together as the people of God is that as a default practice. And then you don't have to have a guy whose job is to uh, try to help people do that. It's like we just do it naturally because we know the Bible says practice hospitality. It says be with people, share meals with other people, get to know the person that you don't know. And so we take risks and we create a culture where friendliness and hospitality are the default way of thinking and being. And, and another question to think about is can we park our assumptions? Can I uh, set them aside? Often we think that we know what we don't know and we will only know through relationships and conversations with other people. We have assumptions. We size people up, don't we? We read the book without opening the cover. We're, we're like, I know, I can tell, but no, that's not true at all. In fact, often in conversation, I, I've found that uh, listening to people's stories, is the, it's the beginning of empathy. It's like, uh, it's, I remember like this human being that I knew in the past, the very hard, very hard exterior, very difficult, but I heard her story. And it really, really was revolutionary to me in understanding why this person was the way they were. And so it, it's an aspect of what we're trying to do is to put our assumptions on hold and listen, actually listen. That's the, another part of it. Do we listen? Do we slow down enough to offer the precious gift of our attention? Your, your attention is a gift. And it, it, uh, most of us today, our time is a gift. It's a, a valuable commodity that we have in our life, and we have to slow down enough to give people our attention and not, you know, how we are. And um, you're talking, but I'm actually thinking about what I'm going to say next, right? That's what people are like. No, we give them our attention. We listen. This is good marital advice, too, by the way, like listening to each other. Uh, giving each other the precious gift of our attention. That involves putting our phone down sometimes, doesn't it? Like getting that screen out of our face. But it's true about a lot of things. Just put your phone down for a while. Try to listen to each other. Slow down and, and give each other that gift of attention. I went to a meeting fairly recently, met someone I didn't know for the first time. I was one minute into... Uh, introducing myself to someone I'd never met before and the person cut me off mid-sentence and walked away and like and later on someone said well here's what it was he didn't see you as someone who could forward his you know like career in uh, specific ways and uh, I'm like okay well still <laughs> I'm an interesting person okay like you can listen to me longer than a minute but this is a part of what we're thinking through like in my social discipleship am I can I stop and listen to you and give you my attention and show you that you have value by listening and then living generously is a part of this we've already discussed Psalm 24 1 I love says um, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the earth is the Lord's he's the owner you're the manager and there's accounting and so it's, moreover, the scripture says it's required among men that a steward be found faithful. You're going to be accountable for how you manage what God put into your hand. So if it's the cost of a meal to uh, meet somebody for the first time that you can tell, like, it would probably, you know, it would be helpful to me and them if we just invite them out and trust uh, God 
for the cost of a meal. I buy meals for people a lot of times. Guess what? People buy meals for me a lot of times. It all evens out, and it's all God's. And, you know, the encouragement is live generously. We think about Jesus in, in Matthew 25. He characterized his people, those who belong to him, the sheep he called them this way in uh, Scripture. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come you, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. He says, well, you did it to that person unsuspecting, not knowing. He says, in reality, you were obeying me. You were doing that unto me. Jesus embodied welcome when he lived on earth and the priority of risk to win people. Jesus took risk to win people. His reputation, not only that, ultimately we know that he suffered a violent death and really because of who he hung, hung out with is a big reason that the, uh, there was suspicion and hatred. He eats with sinners and prostitutes and, you know, and, and Jesus took risk. And he, the scripture says in the Gospel of John, He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. The message paraphrases Revelation, or uh, the passage that talks about um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's how it uh, paraphrases John 1. 14. The word became flesh and blood, moved into the neighborhood. Jesus became a neighbor to people, and then Jesus had relationships with people and created connection. Re- Revelation 3.20, I hear people all the time, don't use it that way, but it says that Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and whoever opens the door, he says, I will come into them and have fellowship with them and them with me. The old King James says, I'll sup with them. I'll dine with them. It just comes full circle to the idea of relationship, connection, the table. So this is very practical, I think, as we think through what God wants us to be like as people. What does it take for his kingdom to grow? It takes us being willing to take risks, to be open, to think about people differently than probably we think about each other most of the time. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to have a time of commitment now as we sing a song together. And I just encourage you, you can respond uh, publicly if you choose to for prayer. be happy to pray with you about any needs that you have. And uh, the most important thing, obviously, always is the gospel, the good news that in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. And so we invite you, if you don't know that precious forgiveness that comes through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to open your heart up to receive him. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think for uh, those of us that know him, just this reminder that 
this is what God is like and what he wants you and I to be like. Father, thank you for how we see modeled in the life of Jesus.